0: Hi, everyone. This is Abby from Badgerland Journal. Um, This is future Abby. This is not recorded at the time this podcast was recorded. Um, I'm coming on here because I debated re-recording this episode because I don't think it's up to the quality that I am now producing. After 20-some episodes, I've learned some kind of different tricks with editing and I've just become more comfortable. And so I debated this and I decided not to because... I think it really shows the progress that I have made and how I started off and, you know, I was a little bit uncomfortable and I didn't know what I was doing and maybe I spliced things together, not properly. Definitely used a lot of transitions. I took those out. Um, But I guess what I'm saying is I hope you listen to this, but if you kind of listen to it and you're like, oh, she's not very good, I'm asking you to go listen to one of my like latest episodes because I think I've really improved and I'm really enjoying doing this. Um, So please don't judge me for my first episode and I guess keep that in mind. But you know, I just hope to keep growing and learning more as I create more and more episodes and I just want to thank everyone who has come along with me for this journey and I hope you do enjoy the episode because it's still a good story and maybe someday I'll re-record it because it's an interesting topic that I could dig more into. But yeah, please enjoy this episode. The story I wanna talk to you about today is one that involves my home state of Wisconsin. The actions of so many Wisconsinites in this story make me proud to have been born and raised here. It's a story about people standing up for what is right despite what is told to them by the government. This story is about states' rights and it happens prior to the Civil War when people identified more with their states than they did their country. Now, this might be a little weird for us to think about today. I know I consider myself American first and then a Wisconsinite. And this was not the case for many prior to the Civil War. This switch happened after the Civil War when there was an effort to unify the country and prevent another war. Today, When I hear about states' rights, it's usually referring to the Civil War and how states invoked their rights to secede and preserve slavery. And I think that everyone can agree that slavery is a horrible institution that is morally wrong. But I wanna counter the notion of states' rights with a different story, one that is fighting for rights, not trying to take them away. Today, we are going to be talking about Joshua Glover. This story is not as well known as I think it should be, especially in my state of Wisconsin. The story begins between 1810 and 1830, which is the estimated time of Glover's birth. Glover was born into slavery, and there's very little known about him until 1850. Then he was sold to Benjamin Stone Garland, After he was sold, he worked on Garland's farm in St. Louis, Missouri for two years. And he worked in the fields and orchards, tending the animals and putting up fences. Then one night, Glover escaped. Very little is known about his escape and the exact path from Missouri to Wisconsin he took. But it is known he made his way north to Wisconsin, where he settled in Racine, which is just south of Milwaukee, in the southeastern part of the state. There, he settled down and made a life for himself. He got a job, had a cabin to live in, and made friends. He believed he was finally free. However, there was a law in place at the time called the Fugitive Slave Act. This allowed the capture and return of runaway slaves to their owner. This was enforced throughout the United States, including in free states, which meant that a slave owner could travel to a free state and reclaim a runaway slave, despite the fact that slavery was illegal in those states. And unfortunately, this is exactly what happened. Garland, his former master, somehow got word that Glover was in Racine, and he traveled to Wisconsin. On the night of March 10, 1854, two marshals and four other men came to Joshua Glover's cabin. Their goal was to capture him, and although Glover put up a fight, they were able to subdue him. In the words of Sherman Bluth, Glover was knocked down and handcuffed, dumped, mangled, and bleeding into a Democrat wagon and with a marshal's foot on his neck taken to Milwaukee and thrust into county jail. Booth is a key player later in the story, but what I think is funny is there's no record of him being at the cabin, and I find it unlikely he was there. Despite not being on the scene, he was able to create this vivid image of the encounter. As the quote mentioned, Glover was taken to Milwaukee, which was north of Racine. This seems to be the opposite direction of where they were going. After all, Garland wanted to bring his former slave home, to St. Louis, which was south of Racine, but there was a reason for this. This was because the federal judge had to give final approval on Glover's status. The judge had to say, yes, he is a runaway and you can legally take him back to Missouri or no, you can't. However, they could not get approval till the morning and Racine was an abolitionist stronghold, so they feared an uprising hence bringing him to Milwaukee. Which, you know, in their defense, was justified, because Glover's friends and sympathizers contacted Sherman Booth, who was the man who gave the quote earlier about Glover being dumped, mangled, and bleeding into a wagon. He was actually an abolitionist and a newspaper editor. They asked him to try and free Glover, and to his credit, his first attempt was a legal one. He tried to get a local judge to issue a writ of habeas corpus. For those of you who don't know what a writ of habeas corpus is, it's a document releasing those being held unjustly. This, however, failed because the federal officers refused to recognize it. This was not the end of Booth's efforts. He rode through town passing out pamphlets and encouraging those who supported the abolitionist movement, or a Glover, to meet at the courthouse at noon. A crowd formed outside the courthouse, the size of 5,000. This may not seem like a lot of people by today's standards, but let me give you some perspective. Milwaukee's population at the time was 20,000 people. The entire population of Racine was 5,000. This means the protest was the equivalent to a fourth of Milwaukee's population and the entire population of Racine. After it became clear Glover would not be released, the crowd forcibly made its way into the courthouse and took Glover. He was then taken to a safe house in Waukesha. Within 40 days, he was on the steamer headed for Canada, where he would spend the rest of his life as a free man. While this is where Joshua Glover's story ends, I think I'd be doing everyone a disservice if I ended the story here. Following Glover's escape, the Racine County Sheriff arrested Garland, who was the slave master, for assault. Think about that for a moment. A white slave owner was arrested for assaulting his former slave. Although he was eventually released, I think it was noble to defend Glover's rights, even when many in the country didn't believe he deserved any. This was not the only arrest made after the escape. Booth himself was arrested for his role in the escape. However, the Wisconsin Supreme Court issued a writ of habeas corpus to release him. They had decided that the Fugitive Slave Act was unconstitutional, and therefore Wisconsin did not have to follow the law. In doing so, Wisconsin became the first and only state to openly defy the Fugitive Slave Act. This was challenged at the federal level in Alberman v. Booth, in which the United States Supreme Court overruled the Wisconsin Supreme Court saying that states could not rule federal laws unconstitutional. In doing so, they reaffirmed the Fugitive Slave Act that would not be repealed until June 28, 1864, towards the end of the Civil War. The whole legal battle went on for six years, and it finally ended when James Buchanan pardoned Booth in his last days in office. Wisconsin, not satisfied with the decision, passed legislation in 1857, preventing kidnapping within the state, specifically to combat the Fugitive Slave Act. To me, this is an amazing story about states' rights. This was a combination of individual citizens like Sherman Booth and the protesters who risked their reputations to free a runaway slave, as well as state and local courts defending their citizens and their actions. So many did so much with little consideration to the cost to themselves. I think it's important to remember that government can pass laws that are enforceable, but that does not automatically make them moral or right. And when these kinds of laws are passed, it's our jobs as citizens to fight, even if it doesn't affect us directly. The story of Joshua Glover shows this so perfectly, which is why I love it so much. My question for all you listeners is, what do you think about states' rights? Are we better allowing the federal government to have the final say? Or should we shift back to the states challenging and opposing federal laws when it's appropriate? I'd love to hear your thoughts, so please leave comments down below. Thank you guys for listening to the missing page from your history book. Please share with friends and family and like and comment where possible.